Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. My name is Steph, and joining me tonight are Milo and Gareth. Hello, chaps. Hi, yeah. Hello. <laughs> uh, to avoid any confusion as to why we are not looking back at our Carabao Cup quarterfinal against West Ham, it is because this record is taking place directly after our Liverpool episode. Yes, Figgy Pudding and Boxing Day are things we at The Game Is About Glory value highly, thus the two at once. So have no fear. The West Ham and other festive season fixtures will be reflected upon in our first fresh recording of 2022. (laughs) We're really getting into science fiction dates now, aren't we? However, if you think you've arrived at Fillerland, where bits of old rubbish lying around the cutting room floor have been cobbled together to form something called an episode, think again, because far from it. On tonight's episode, we will be looking back at the season so far. Two managers, some high drama, and a side which could, against all the odds, waltz back into the Champions League. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've reached a halfway point of the season. So no intro question or the week that was today. We're just going to dive straight into the main business. And where better to start than at the beginning of this season? In August, we had a new manager, (laughs) Nuno Espirito Santos. He was manager of the month for August. We were top of the league. We won our first three league games 1-0. Chaps, what were your expectations back in August? Milo, kick us off tonight. So on our kind of season preview pod, my expectations were that we would, you know, well, aim for the top four. So, you know, you know, fifth, fifth, fourth, you know, in the hope that a bigger spending club slipped up. So I'm not too dissatisfied with where we are right now. How we got there, on the other hand. Yeah. And Gareth, it has to be said, uh, you know, Man City were born slippy, weren't they? Sorry for the underworld reference. Had to get it in there. Uh, you know, we beat them opening game of the season. I mean, you know, your expectations at the start of the season. The start of the season, I wanted us to achieve a 70 point season. because I think if you get 70 points plus, you're going you're gonna to be unlucky not to get in the top four. Um, we've missed out on that quite badly the last couple of years. So 70 points was my target. When we get nine points from the first three games, um, albeit not very without playing particularly spectacularly, I think it was a really good um, feel good f- feeling after beating Manchester City. Um, we then, I don't know, say we fluked to one nil victories, but it was quite two underwhelming victories after that but it got points on the board was the important thing um what we wanted we just wanted the cloud over the club to lift so although we went into that first international break top of the league winning three games we didn't know what was happening with with harry for most of that part of the season i think although we wanted to be positive about nuna i think we all felt that and this seems to have been reflected within the squad as well that he was just there as a glorified caretaker manager and i think that was just the lingering feeling going over the club we we had an absolutely horrendous international break which led into the next sequence of fixtures which i know we'll come on to uh, but yeah look for me 70 points and to go far in one of the cups was was really important for me this year. You've brought us very conveniently to the international break, Gareth, uh, and thank you for doing so, because as you quite rightly said, we were all um, cautiously optimistic. Uh, Some of us possibly a little more irrationally optimistic than others. Uh, No names mentioned me. But, you know, we came down to earth with a resounding thump uh, from 1-0 victories to 3-0 defeats, two in a row uh, to Palace and Chelsea. And then that game against Arsenal, um, who themselves were very poor at the time, but we made look like Brazil circa 1982. That seems to be a good place to come in and look at this part of the season. I mean, do we think that the international breaks 
you know, contributed to things starting to fall apart under Nuno? Or was this just really an inevit- a sense of inevitable geometry? <laughs> what happened in that first international break in September is a series of very unfortunate circumstances with players getting called up to play in South America and then having to um, isolate in Dubrovnik for what four or five days before being able to come back. It meant that we were totally undercooked when we went into the Palace game at Sellers Park at the start of September. Um, we then had some unfortunate incidents in the game that Dyer went off injured. Uh, Tanganga got himself sent off 10 minutes into the second half. We conceded a fairly silly penalty and ended up losing 3-0. But the wheels very much came off in that moment. Uh, we were then tonked by Chelsea, having had quite an encouraging first half the week after. And then, as you said, the debacle of... Um, at the Emirates as well at the end of September. Is that as poor a first 45 minutes as we've played for over a decade? Well, in, in context of the importance of the game, I think it probably was. Uh, I, I can show you two 45 minutes we played in Zagreb not that long ago that might have competed with that or 45 minutes in Pacos de Ferreira as well, um, which is also in this period that we're talking about. So... Um, it was yeah it was it was it was the wheels coming off very very quickly and a situation unraveling far quicker than anyone anticipated yeah i i think nuno was a little unlucky with the international breaks to come back to that question uh, you know particularly that palace game where you know changes were forced on him and we looked like strangers didn't we which was a a recurrent problem under him when whenever he changed the starting lineup i started having doubts quite early so the watford and uh, and uh, wolves games were as Gareth touched on were poor performances and I was very worried about his approach and and how that would go at those points but conversely actually I was quite positive after we lost to Chelsea I thought in the first half we played quite well uh, Tuchel made some changes and we struggled to cope with it but I thought in the first half I thought our performance was okay but Arsenal it was a catastrophe and uh, Nuno got it completely wrong his his whole approach to the game was completely wrong and that was the point when I was out is that the day that signaled the beginning of the end for Nuno? I, th- I think so. And you know, noises coming out of the club is that's the point when we started talking, you know, reaching out to Conte. So, yeah, that appears to be the case. And so then we go to what I th- I personally think has probably, in a weird way, been our most positive result of the season um, so far. That was the 3-0 defeat at home to Manchester United uh, for all the pain that it inflicted upon us with what was an absolutely miserable Uh, afternoon of football you know it was most certainly I think the most significant result that we've had since the Champions League final would you gentlemen not agree or yeah I think I I think it was I think it's our greatest ever defeat the um yeah I I, it was the final nail in the coffin it wasn't just the defeat but well say it wasn't the defeat it was purely the manner of the defeat and what happened once we'd gone one nil down that proved that he'd, he'd lost the changing room to cite a cliche um, it, it was evidence of of that, and we know that things happen very, very quickly after that, if not even during that game, in terms of um, making those Paratici making those final uh, conversation, having those final conversations with Conte. He walked out, didn't he? Yeah, I think you know, bizarrely, you know, in terms of a performance, it was significantly better than the Arsenal game, and you know, on, on chances created in the game, we probably deserved to get a bit more out of it than we actually did, but. Yeah, maybe the result was, you know, the question here was, is the most significant result? And, you know, probably was on a different day. I think we'd probably get more out of the game or get we could have got something out of the game. But we'd been pretty lacklustre 
all season up to that point. And it was the first home game for a while. We'd had a run of away games. and We'd had West Ham. We'd had uh, Newcastle. Um, so I think we'd had a month where we hadn't played at home. And that was the first chance for the fans to... Um, to, to voice their opinion so I think there's at that point there was a lot of pent-up frustration and whilst yeah um I think the performance was yeah was better than we, we probably think it was there was a lot of factors coming into play there and yeah it was really decisive wasn't it and and actually you know fair play to the club they they reacted quickly and you know from that point onwards you know it really was the turning point in our season so I, I think you can always tell a lot about a team by the way that, the re- that way they react to adversity and I think you're absolutely right if we look back at that Man United game we had some great chances to go ahead at that point but really the moment that Ronaldo scored just before half time it was game over you could see the the, the play that the, the shoulders slumped um passes were misplaced the groans became more and more the frustration became more and more palpable um, and just that see- feeling of helplessness mm. with, on the pitch really permeated its way through the crowd um, we've seen other occasions where we've gone behind I mean, you think about the about the game against Liverpool last weekend we went behind 2-1 down but there was that feeling within the team that they could still make something happen but if you rewind back to the Man United game on the 30th of October as soon as we went yeah. behind it was it was game over well, one thing that occurred to me recently is that you know in hindsight I'm not sure Nuno was a big enough personality for the job mainly if you compare him for the job if you compare his demeanor on the touchline we've talked about it a few times comparing him with Conte but in the press conferences as well you got the feeling quite early on that Nuno wasn't really comfortable with the role and was wasn't really comfortable with that level of scrutiny uh, or you know the size of the platform he was on um he looked very sheepish on the touchlines and we didn't really see any of the kind of building of the relationship with the fans the bond with the fans that we saw at, at Wolves and yeah I just think maybe the job was just too big for him in hindsight yeah I think Sheepish, perhaps. I mean, I always saw I saw a sense of bewilderment from him. Um, I saw a sense of bewilderment of perhaps the fact that the players were not reacting as maybe he, as a former professional footballer himself, and you know, uh, a, a Premiership coach would have expected. Um, he seems somewhere to have lost the players um, quite early on, and it was a very forlorn and, and actually very sympathetic figure uh, on the touchline against Man United. Um, you know, and I, I look. I think we can agree that when we look back at this half-season review, we really do have to at least give him the praise and thanks for being the guy who got us from that last guy to the man we now have in charge and and somewhat calmed the waters and somewhat brought some sense of order and and I won't quite say tranquility, but maybe some sense of order to the club and, and, and congruence where there really had just been nothing but fractitious chaos before him. I think maybe that would have been the case if he'd come in towards the end of last season and was replaced um, in the summer. It, it's um, you can't help feeling that actually that was you know, the, you know up until the Man United game was wasted time. Really, I think um, if we'd managed to bring Conte in in the summer, you know, would things have been different? Yeah, you know, we'd had that bridging manager almost with um, with Mason, hadn't we? I don't know. I don't know. Just um, it, it just you know, I, I, it's it's not. I don't think there's any surprised that the players didn't really buy into it when it was pretty clear that his prospects in the job weren't long term and um and he didn't have a big enough personality for the to to convince them otherwise or to win them over I, I, it's um yeah i think he was on a hide into nothing from very early on 
So we're at a situation here. Uh, we've just got thumped but 3-0 by Man United. Um, of course, the other, the double positive and the other one from it is that it absolutely keeps Oli in a job for a few more weeks because, uh, you know, Man United suffered from the false dawn of beating us 3-0 at the lane, being, you know, a spectacular result, which, of course, we all know didn't really take that much at that time of our season. I think it's the time that we see the sporting director really, really flex his muscle and assert himself and, uh, you know, turn around to the chairman and say, look, if you want me to work here and you want something to happen, this is what you have to do. And so it was done and in he came. The discussions have been happening for a little while, we're led to believe, but suddenly we have one of the top managers in the world, a manager that I think we had, you know, somewhat hoped would come to us in the summer, but reconciled ourselves with the fact would not simply because I don't know if any of us felt that Daniel Levy would would countenance such a powerful man uh you know running the football team but here he was um and what kind of impact did he have I think what you've seen there is you've seen how having a a competent director of football means that when you do go through periods of changing your coach, it becomes more of a seamless transition because actually it's not ripping up the whole blueprint and getting rid of a whole squad of players and and putting in a completely different tactical system in there. The idea is by having the sporting director is that you you manage those transitions more, more cleanly. Now, in this case, I mean, that wasn't exactly the case with this one, but what it did mean was that we had a really good director of football who was probably working on Conte from the moment mm. he said no for the first point back in yeah. back in June. So that he had he Conte was very much the next taxi off the rank who was available. I'm going to say almost at the drop of a hat. The sacking was Sunday. Conte was appointed by a little more than 24 hours afterwards. Well, you've gone from a black cab to a Maserati. In fairness, right? So, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't quite buy how you describe the relationship between uh, Paratici and um, and Levy here. I think uh, Conte is exactly the kind of manager that Levy likes. I think he likes um, strong personalities and uh, you know, alpha males, I think, um, you know that I think that's yeah that's what he's attracted to, and um, you know we saw uh, a number of managers who don't fit that kind of profile get uh, you know overlooked for the job earlier in the year. So I, I'm not sure about that. I agree with Gareth that I think we were probably working on Conte uh, since he said no in the summer, and that this had been you know the, all the noises are that we've had this lined up, we've been working on this in earnest since the Arsenal game, and I think Conte's impact was immediate in terms of. You know the way he carries himself, the way he handles the media is, um, you know, is, is is superb. His his messaging is is very clear, and and you know, I think I said, um, you know, shortly after he joined us, I think the way he uses the press conferences, you know, to send messages not only to the players but I think also to the fans um, around can you know, kind of what he expects and uh, you know what the direction he's going in and uh, kind of managing our expectations I think uh, you know I think he's very smart so yeah I think his impact was huge it, it, there's the bond he's got with the the fans are built you know quite quickly you know we haven't seen for a couple of years and I, I know the stadium's been closed for quite a lot of that time but it's been pretty immediate and and the, it's great to see the fans um you know have that relationship again he's a very clever man mm-hmm. that goes without saying he's won so many trophies he doesn't need my qualification but i'll say it again he's a very clever man and he looks at all the marginal gains that he can get and i think that one of the most significant things he's done uh you know is, is really focus on those marginal gains and we talk about the stadium 
And we talk about fans being in it and getting the fans on side. I think we saw very early on that he recognised that the importance of the 12th man at vital moments to a club that perhaps is a little short on confidence was absolutely massive. And he himself recognises, as you know, a good manager will, that you need to have those fans on your side and on your team's side. And I, I felt that one of the most important things that he did was to really make our setup feel like a family again in the sense and and like a collective we weren't a series of operations doing a good job we're a collective he feels it feels like he's made us a bonded football club again would you agree with that I think you've got a manager that we as a group of supporters believe in and instantly buy into and I think that's the same for the players as well so I think he's got that credit in the bank before he before he joined us that you and you saw it straight away I mean he's he's corrected very very quickly the wrongs that we had so we weren't creating any chances or we were creating very very few chances prior to him coming in um he's he's up the intensity levels and the energy levels of the players and that's been reflected in the in the running stats so look he's he's corrected things very very quickly um so he's got people on side you could say he's, he's perhaps been a little bit fortunate with the run of games that we've had that we've had some very winnable games so being able to play Leeds um Brentford and Norwich at home and then having got a really good result against Liverpool which is the first real big test that we've we've had has really helped but we say this for years we've struggled against these sides and he's making the sort of deal of them that we should I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it had all been agreed and him coming in after the, you know, the Manchester United game had been um, talked about you know, sometime before that game was played. It's not unusual for a club to bring in a manager when there's a, a softer run of fixtures for them to find their feet. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's something we looked at. You know, In terms of uh, the improvement on the pitch, I mean, Gareth's absolutely right. If you look at um, both our attacking and defensive uh, stats since he came in, Pretty much all of them are at you know top four. They put puts in the top four in the league. You know, goal scored, uh, defensive records, number of assists and chances we're creating um, have all gone up uh, dramatically. You know, if we take the Liverpool game last week, you know, our XP, uh, XG in that game was more than it was in August and September for the whole of the two months in one game. So you know, we're we're, we're light years ahead of where we were, and you know that's. That's working with the same squad. That's just the difference that a uh, you know good coach makes. That's what we're seeing. And when we talk about kind of that bond with the fans and you know some of the things he's done around you know just, well you know the reaction in, in in the first home game where he was geeing the fans up and uh, encouraging them to make more noise. Nuno wouldn't have had the authority to do some of that stuff. He he didn't have the authority to to do that. And I think you know when we talk about. Uh, you know, Nuno's troubles with the squads. I think it comes down to the same thing, a lack of authority. Does he feel at this stage of the season like a Tottenham manager or is he simply a very skilled professional man who knows exactly how to do his job? And bear in mind, I don't know how it is for you guys, but for me, it feels like he's been the manager of, of our club for quite some time already. I mean, there's almost a Jedi mind trick in the time signature. Because it doesn't make sense that he's only been with us for the short amount of time he has. It feels like he's been here for some time and that this is his club. But is that just a clever guy who knows what he's doing? Or do you think he's buying into the quote unquote Tottenham DNA and he's thus a Tottenham manager? I think it's probably the latter. I think he's a he's a very clever bloke. He's one of the best coaches in the world and somehow we've managed to, to lure him to uh, to our corner of, of London. 
I, I think he just gets on with his job. I don't think he's one of these managers that's going to claim that he goes to sleep in his Spurs pyjamas every night. Um, I think it's quite a transactional relationship for him. But I think that's what we've, we've, we've bought into. I think his, um, I think his method is that whilst he's here and whilst he's under contract and feels well, well supported, he will give his at- utmost and he will give every ounce of energy and time and intensity to the job. But the moment he doesn't feel that um, will be the moment that he clocks out and then it, it will be fairly disastrous and toxic at that point if, um, if, if previous form is to go by. But look, we've got, to, we've got to make the most of him whilst we've got him. We've got to make sure that he's, that he's properly backed. One thing that grates on me is you, you say about the fans getting behind him. Again, we've just recycled the song that was sung mm. by him by Chelsea fans. Um, I mean, Milo, you came up with a very, very clever version of the Nicola Bertie song that I thought would have been very bespoke to Spurs. Um, Which at this point, I must now ask Milo to sing. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> That's one for Ram to come back on. Yeah. He's got the voice. What was it, Mark? Well, how would it have gone? My name is Antonio Conti, and I'm only forty. Well, that's the, it does, that, that bit doesn't work. It, oh. you, yeah, I'm just over fifty. But um... oh, so Conti fifty. No, I've, I want to try and sing. I'm going to sing this before the end of the pod. Anyway. You go on mute and work on that on your on your own, and Gareth, leave Gareth and I to get on with this, and come back when you're done. Um, I, okay. I I I agree with you, Gareth. I mean, he's a gun for hire, isn't he? And uh, he's going to be here for you know two and a bit years, and uh, and then he'll be off. And it may well end messily, but the deal you're making is that you'll win something along the way. And I'm a little bit more optimistic about this one working than the last time we hired a gun for hire. Um, he feels like a, an, an infinitely better fit and his approach feels more sustainable. Uh, he feels more in tune with the club. Gareth's right, it's entirely transactional and, um, you know, we, we just got to enjoy the ride while it, while it, while it, while it goes on. And, um, on the showing so far, uh, we should be pretty optimistic about, you know, the second half of the season and next season is, should be when it, when it's really, really exciting. My name is Antonio Conti. I'm somewhere around 50. I come from a club in Milan. In time, when I walk down the street, all the girls that I meet, they say, Hey, gorgeous, what's your name? You're absolutely right. We need to we need to stop singing the Chelsea version of his song. So if you've heard that song and think you can improve on it, and hopefully many thousands of you will be able to, please practice over the holidays and uh, and, and do so. And sing it loudly the next time you get a chance. Um, I'm going to come in off the back of what you said about a transactional manager. I Look, again, this is no secret on this pod. I'm a hopeless romantic and happy to be one. The logical side of me says that you're both absolutely right. The romantic side of me says that he has somehow managed to seduce me into believing. And I'm quite happy with the illusion, knowing that it probably is just that. And there's a reality. And he's got just enough about him to convince me and I think it's been a very important final step in bringing the fans on board because remember he wasn't so long ago that he was pipping what was possibly our best side you know in decades to a title that we should have won and in any other season we would have won um so I I have to say I I'm all in and and Mm. and I do think that this Champions League running is going to come down to the quality of managers I really do. And I think obviously Pep and Klopp speak for themselves. I think Tuchel is still a fantastic coach. I think he'll get it right at Chelsea. I think they'll be in the top four. And I think it does then uh, leave us with, I believe, uh, the four, at least the fourth best, uh, definitely 
if not one of the best coaches in the Premiership. And he's got me buying in and he's doing so by you know, the corrections he's made and also with uh, what we discussed in the Liverpool pod. You know, he's given us a standard and, and, and those are the things we haven't had since the mm. Poch era. And that's what we need. And so I'm all in. Yeah. I mean, I think he's the second, yeah, second or third best coach in the league. I think he's, I think he's, he's ahead of Tuchel currently. No, I think you're probably right. Yeah. The Chelsea thing doesn't really bother me because he never really felt particularly like a Chelsea manager to me because he wasn't there that long. And obviously it was very acrimonious when he, when he left there. So that association isn't quite as strong as it, it, it has been with other ex-Chelsea managers who, who, who've managed us, for me at least. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're trying to just sucker me in there, aren't you? You're trying to sucker me in and I can't do it. I won't do it to us. It's the holiday season. <laughs> we, I won't do it. We, we've, we've sworn not to go there. But no, I think that's fair comment. Sorry, that wasn't trying to draw you into other managers. So, you know, we've talked about Hoddle enough on this pod, so we can we can leave that and move on. <laughs> I thought you were talking AVB. <laughs> oh, dear. And yet they probe. I stand firm. I will not do it. I will not do it. But well, I, look, we're all agreed that this is a, a tremendous move. I mean, before we get into some, you know, uh, mid-season uh, evaluations here, I do want to ask you each. We've spoken of Paratici's work here. We've spoken of the fact that Paratici has probably been in constant dialogue forever. I know, Milo, that you, you know, you felt that, you know, Conte is actually, you know, being an alpha male, a very, very Daniel type of, of person. And, 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 and I see that. But what I have seen Daniel do in this particular instance, quite aside from backing his sporting director, which you should, he's he's going to give in to what this guy wants. It's a big deal. I think, well, I, go, I suppose the proof of the pudding will be in what we're going to discuss with regards to the window and what we can expect. But does Daniel deserve some credit for going back and saying, hey, I maybe tried to do this summer on the cheap and I got my fingers burned. I sh- you know, let's let's do it properly now. I went back and I did what I needed to do to give this guy the guarantees that he wanted in the summer that I wasn't prepared to. Do we think Daniel deserves some credit for that? I'm not sure that that's the situation that's occurred. I mean, I think, again, some of the noises I've heard was that, you know, he wanted assurances about players that wouldn't leave. And I suppose Kane being one of the, the main ones in that. And at that position, at that point, we were unable to give those because we didn't know how it would play out. So... Um, I think it's probably a bit more complex rather... That surely can't be true. Daniel made it very clear he would not sell. I mean, he made it very clear. I mean, to say that's what I've heard. So I don't know. But I don't think it's purely we wouldn't give him a huge pot of money to spend. We, you know, we spent a fair bit in the summer and I think mostly we spent it quite well. So I think it's a bit more complex than just that. I think he probably wanted some assurances that we weren't able to give, but I don't think it's just a, a financial one. I have to interrupt you for a minute. I wasn't suggesting it was. I was suggesting full control as much over who he moves out. And we saw this with letting, you know, with, with, with uh, letting players go on. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think he'd already done that, hadn't he, with Paratici? I think the summer, I think it was pretty clear that Paratici was in control of uh, comings and goings. And, you know, we've talked before about, uh, you know, how Aurier left. That would have been very hard to imagine us doing doing previously. But, I mean, obviously that relationship between Paratici and, and Conte is, is key. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I should rephrase by the relationship between Conte and Paratici. It's Daniel one step further removed from the coach's ear than he normally likes to be. I personally think it's a big deal. At this halfway stage, let's do a little bit of spot evaluation. And these will be, you know, be quick moments in and out, if you will. 
Gareth, best new signing? Best new signing is undoubtedly Romero. Mm. Because, well, more is my process of elimination. Galini, less said of him, the better. Brian Hill is one for the future, and one we've seen very, very fleetingly. And Emerson Royale, for me, the jury is very much out at the moment. But from what we have seen of Romero, he looks like a really high quality defender. Definitely an upgrade on, on anything we've had in a couple of years. Unanimous decision? Yeah. Great. Yeah. I agree. Clean sweep. Christian Romero, best new signing. Most improved player? Milo. Ben Davis. Um, I'm going to go with Eric Dyer just because I think he's been consistently really good and much improved over the course of the season, whereas Davis, there's been definite improvement since Conte's come in. But taking the, the, the half a season as a whole, I'm going for Dyer. I'm going to split the difference and add an S to player in the question and say that you're both on point for me. They are the most improved players. So I, I agree with that. Best young player. Gareth. Yeah, this is a, this is surely is a very easy one. It's Oliver Skip, who could qualify as a new player, really, because he was out on loan last year. Yeah, there's no one else, is there? Cess, I suppose, unanimous. if you were judging it on the last two games. but <laughs> Yeah, it's another unanimous decision. Oli Skip, who's really, really become uh, somewhat of the man around the club, it has to be said. OK, a little bit of fun here. And uh, while I read this, <laughs> shouldn't be that hard because we haven't exactly had too many. But now I say that, I am struggling to think of what I uh, think was our best goal so far this season. Mora against Norwich. Yeah, no, Lucas Mora against Norwich is the is the easy answer. And I would say almost certainly will end up being the goal of the season. Perhaps Hipster's choice, um, Sonny's goal against Brentford, mm. which was Kane's pass on halfway to the onrushing Reggie, who pulled the ball back mm. for Sonny to score from. But no, it's, it's Lucas Mora uh, against Norwich. I'm going to go for a third option. I'm going to say I thought the goal that we scored, the first goal against Liverpool on Sunday was a cracker from from harry winks winning that with a crunching tackle to that beautiful slide ball to harry's expert finish that was such a wonderful fluid goal i'm gonna go for that so you've got three choices there okay best game of the season so far gareth for me it's the liverpool game it's, it's the first time in in a long time that i've walked out of the stadium feeling thoroughly entertained the result was almost immaterial because it was just a really really good game of football that was action-packed and and had lots of very interesting moments in it yeah it's that or manchester united at home isn't it yes absolutely right it's it's a <laughs> i couldn't agree more oh my word they laughed at us when we talked about man united the uh, the man united def- game being our greatest defeat ever you know as uh but uh we did all say yeah didn't we we did yeah <laughs> Can I just put in a claim for Villa at home for the uh, Game is About Glory meetup? Yeah. Well, I mean, has there been a more perfect day at the lane uh, for any of us for some time than that? I mean, that was an absolute belter. I completely agree. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna split the difference again between you both. Uh, I think Liverpool was 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 an excellent excellent game of football, but I think Milo, you've got my vote. I think that Aston Villa at home for everything that it meant and the fact we were all within the. Uh, the hallowed turf, if you will. Uh, so, yes. And then I guess, well, here we go. The halfway stage, the 21-22 season. Who's our best player? Eric Dyer. Oliver Skip. I love Eric Dyer and Eric Dyer loves me. I'm going to give it to Eric Dyer. But yes, Gareth, it's a really, really hard push, isn't it? Because Skip has been has been excellent. I would agree. Special shout for Lloris, actually. He's had a very good season. He's been very, very good all season. thinking about that. You know, in our Liverpool pod, we failed to mention that in that game, he made a couple of really important saves and I have. He was superb. I think he's been good all season, but I think he's up to level since Conte came in. I agree. I, I agree. It's a, that's, a, that's, a really, that's a really good shout. I mean, that that's actually a deep hipster's choice. I like that. I like that. That's very good because we've we've sung the praises of Eric Dyer enough on the pod. Talked about Ben Davis. We've already eulogised Oliver Skip. You know, yes, 
I think you're absolutely right. Our our, our captain, Hugo Lloris, player of the season so far. Well called. Well called indeed. I think it's worth saying he's changed his game since Conte came in. He's he's a lot more, he's coming off the line a lot more. He's punching a lot more. He's coming uh, yeah, out of his area. Uh, he's on the ball a lot more than he he has been over over the last few years. So you know, not only has he maintained his level, but he's also adapted to what the new manager wants. And that's not necessarily easy, particularly you know, his age as an old, you know, an older player. Hugo Lloris, our half player of the season. Take a bow. <laughs> but let's focus on what our targets should be for the rest of the season. I say that with a plural. I say that with a plural. What should our targets be for the rest of the season? No, seriously, what should, you know? Top four has to be the top priority. Absolutely top priority. Everything else is, um, anything else would be, you know, the cherry on top of the cake. But, um, Top four has to be the priority. We're in a really good position for it now. We're improving and a lot of the clubs we're in competition with, I don't think are at the same level as us. Yeah, I, th- I think being being knocked out of or being kicked out of Europe gives us a really big advantage that we can focus on, on domestic matters. We'll have to see how far we progress in the, in the Cups. I mean, I, I still think realistically we should be looking to go a long way in the Cup but not instead of top four I think top four is definitely the challenge so for me it's all around trying to get that that 70 points plus again so we've got 23 games remaining another 44 points would put us on to 70 so if, if you if you call that 26 points which gives us 72 points that's looking at two points per game for the rest of the season we've got 10 home games we've got 13 games to play away from home let's say crucially without any European distraction so we're not going to be going out to um, Vienna or we're not going to be going out to Zagreb or or we're not going to be going to the other side of the of the Iron Curtain on a Thursday before then trying to pick a team to go and play Leeds or or Villa away on a Sunday afternoon so I think it's it's very much within our capabilities to to make sure that we can hit those point tallies and, and end the season on 70 plus points yeah going out to some of those european places you just mentioned i mean it means nothing to me i stole your joke i know i know (laughs) no reaction at all when we start getting royalties from this you're going to be screwed (laughs) (laughs) oh dear dearie me um well you have to admit dire dire my darling was good Mm. that was good it's got to be top four for the simple reason that we need to be back in that echelon in order to really push on and compete for the, you know, for the two trophies that our club should get, wants to get, is aspiring to. We're not going to be able to do that by winning the FA Cup or the League Cup or, you know, that Europa Conference bollocks that we just managed to finagle our way out of. Um, it's it just it's not going to help us and it's not going to help keep Antonio Conte. And I think that he's our gateway. So, yes, top four. And the next question we have here is what are our chances of achieving that and where will we finish i'm going to answer them both we're going to finish fourth we are going to achieve it i absolutely feel it in me waters as dodgy as that sounds it's it's surefire you can hold me to it if we don't i will crush an egg into my own face at the end of the season in front of you and you can see it happen do we get to choose the egg <laughs> you can't have an egg in a tin no you're not allowed ostrich <laughs> Yeah, you can pick the egg. Uh, any egg. Uh, if I can find the egg of your choice, <laughs> sure. Because I because I won't be doing it. You see, we'll finish fourth. Yeah. yeah, I think not only should it be an ostrich's egg, but I think Steph should have to take it off the ostr- the egg's mother, which would be right in front of him at the time. 
admit it, you now just want us to finish fifth and win the win the Carabao Cup just to see this happen, don't you? It's that oh dear. A Pandora's box I've opened. But seriously, chaps, what do you what do you think? I've put my I've nailed my colours to the mast, if you will. What do you think? The cup competitions are like they are a lottery. It will come down to luck of the draw. If the FA Cup's anything to go by, hopefully having Morecambe at home will set us in good stead. We'll see what happens with the League Cup. I've just told you that I want us to get at least 44 points for the rest of the season um, using some very, very rudimentary and very quick maths. I've looking at the games, the fixtures that we have to play. If we took the same points in these games as we did in the corresponding fixtures last year, we'd end up with 47 additional points. So it would actually take us well over the 70-point threshold, um, which is which is, which is encouraging. Do you think we've got a better manager? We've got a better squad now, so that we should be more than capable of doing that one. The difficulty is going to be, or, the, or, or what's going to prevent us doing that, is the opponents and the teams that we're up against trying to get into that top four space as well. And I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I was really impressed with Arsenal in the in the last week um, I do think they're building something there and I do think they also had the benefit of having three midweeks as well so I think that our game against them in the middle of January is going to be really crucial I think that's going to be a, a six pointer and that's definitely one that we need to be on the right side of I think if we, if, we, if, we, if we beat them that day we beat them at home that makes our task slightly more straightforward I am a little bit concerned about them I think Manchester United are the other team in the mix that we'll be concerned about we know that they would do have the players in the squad and they do have the capability to go on a good unbeaten run but then they also have the distraction of Europe as well I think Arsenal periodically put these good runners ups together and it all falls to pieces pretty quickly they haven't got a very good manager and I think um, they won't be able to sustain it but they've got some really good young players I think if they brought in a better manager they you know and gave it a bit more time they, they, they'd be in a good place but they're not there now yeah I think United will be our main challengers but I th- I think we've got a good chance of doing this do you believe in your bones we will um yeah I mean you know me Steph it's not it's you know that's not really how I think so I think you know I think we've got a good chance of doing it uh you know we've got the best manager out of any of the clubs in the chasing pack I think we've got a good squad and I think we're seeing the impact of a good manager on players that were being written off not too long ago so I think um, everything's moving in the right direction for us and if we can build some momentum we've got a very good chance of doing it yeah I think that's uh, I think that's a fair comment and look this is going to be our last part before the transfer window opens and we're going to have a lot of time talk about that late latest gossip in January uh, so let's just keep it simple uh you know for now January is obviously you know look it's notoriously difficult uh in terms of doing business it's a a, a, a dirty window if you will not, not clear nothing's ever you know crystal that being the case let's assume that we can only bring in a couple of players in January and move a couple on let me put this to you two in two out which players are you looking to move on and which positions would be your priority to strengthen? So the two out for me, Doherty, because I think a re- if we could bring in a really good right wing back, that would make a huge difference. I think uh, Real is okay, but we're not on the same level on the right hand side as we are on the left. Um, so I think that would make a real difference. And I think, sadly, Jaffet would be the other one for me. I think he doesn't look a good fit for Conte. Sanchez after his wobbly game or a couple of a couple of wobbly games i think has improved a bit the last few games and probably established himself as romero's understudy for the moment that's not that we can't improve on him in the future but not right now jaffet was really poor at right wing back so there isn't another position that he can play particularly i just don't see a place for him particularly so i think maybe that's on loan but I, yeah i just don't don't see where he fits in now 
So I've said right wing back would be one of my priority positions. I think a, le- a left centre back is a priority. I think a striker is a, a priority. I worry we've got no one who can cover Kane's position if he's out. So I think if it's two in, two out, I'm probably going right wing back and a striker and losing Jaffet and um, Doherty. But if I could squeeze in one extra, then it's a left sided centre back. Yeah, for, for me, Doherty's the first one out because there's room for an, uh, an upgrade there. And I think probably an upgrade on, on Emerson Royale as well the other one I th- yeah we do desperately need a forward I think that's where the priority needs to be it may well be if it had to be two in and two out it may be that the one going out might be a bit of a surprise it might be someone like um, Lucas or it might be Bergwijn mm-hmm. it may even be Hill going out on loan just to free up that squad space because I think a really really good forward is going to be an upgrade on, on one of those and I think having a third um, forward who you can rely on whether they play in a front three or or whether they play just as a number 10 or as they play a little bit deeper behind would would make the world of difference for us actually and it would it would help ensure that we continue to create the chances and continue to score more goals. I have to say I think the Jaffet should go on loan I think he's an incredibly promising and talented player. I think his confidence has been rocked a little bit by circumstances this season. And I'd like to see him rebuild that confidence by getting some good game time under his belt. And I do think that uh, Hill as a loan will be make a lot of sense. But I'm also looking at our potential budget and wondering what money we have and what money we don't. I have to say, I think that Lo really needs to show something otherwise he's a very dealable player and I would quite possibly look to move him on I think probably our biggest weakness is the lack of a backup striker right now it's probably a little more important to me that we make sure the squad is lean and tight uh, and that players like Tanganga and Hill are, are getting experience and, and not just wasting away if you will but you know look having put the task to you to give two in two out uh, and both of you having risen to the challenge magnificently, I've completely and utterly flubbed it, as you can tell, which should show everyone that, you know, the work that Antonio Conti's doing is is both excellent and tough because there are no easy answers with our squad right now. And there are no easy answers with the transfer window. I mean, so, I mean, I think that's what anyone can take away from the last 10 minutes of my waffle, which will hopefully be cut down to two minutes by, by you. Very, very difficult. So, um Hopefully you chaps will let me off the hook with that and uh, we will leave it there. <laughs> let's say let's say that's my version of not giving a conclusive prediction. How's that? <laughs> it's not my trick. Ah, here's another one. I will say this. Do we agree that if we could upgrade Gallini, we would do it? I mean, we, we've got to make sure that we don't get on the hook for him, surely, right? We could upgrade him. We could use the bloke selling hot dogs in the North Lower and stick him in goal and he'd be better. Whiteman's returned on loan. I thought he looked pretty good in pre-season. I'd be quite happy with him rather than Galini. Galini, uh, we've got an obligation to buy if he makes 20 appearances for us. And I think he's made eight so far. He might start against we should be safe. We should be safe unless Lloris gets an injury. And we like to finish on a point of safety and consolidation. I think that's a, a very good place to stop and to say thank you very much, lads, for helping us go through this uh, first half of the 21-22 season. Thank you. Cheers, Steph. Cheers. We'll be back next week with a look back at our games against, wait for it, West Ham, Crystal Palace, Southampton and Watford. Bumper, bumper pod coming your way. Or none of those if COVID has its way. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, in which case you'll be well, you'll be hearing yet more prevarication over who we should or shouldn't get rid of and bring in in the January transfer window. If that happens, we'll have Steph answering a really simple question, part two. <laughs> which I recommend for all of those who have difficulty sleeping at night. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) that being said, (laughs) you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow, say hello. And, uh, Oh, 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 Spotify are in the process of rolling out podcast ratings. So if you listen to us on Spotify, we'd love it. If you could leave us a review and help other people find this pod. As a matter of fact, tell everyone on Spotify to leave us reviews, especially on Spotify, because as we all know, Spotify is owned by a gooner. So only good reviews make sure, right? Let's make sure the Spotify owner understands the best podcast in not just North London, but football is the game is about glory. As always, thanks for joining us this week and this year. We'll see you again in 2022. Until then, have a good one. Have a happy new year and see you later.